Hey everyone, welcome to today's episode of Emotional Duct Tape. I'm Corey. I'm Jamie. Jamie, how are you today? I'm great, Corey. I'm you got so a big excited. old smile. You got a big old yeah, smile. I love it. You know, I am in this phase um, where, you know, I'm still looking for a full-time corporate job. And in the interim, I am nannying and I am so happy. <laughs> And I do not want to go back to the corporate world, even remotely. Um, we're, you know, Eric and I are getting by just, just fine. Um, and it is like, I'm finally just in a really good place um, between losing my job and then getting a, a new job that was just the demise of my mental health. Um, now that I'm like, you know, in somewhat decent shape health-wise, you know, no, no longer on um, IV antibiotics. And I'm just kind of interviewing on my days off from nannying. And then on my days nannying, I am like the happiest girl ever. Um, I've just been blessed with uh, two different families that are, have just changed my life in such a short time. And uh, I like feel like I'm just really fulfilled. Um, I also, um, I don't know if I told you this, but uh, I was asked to be co-president of the chapter of the uh, nonprofit that I volunteer with. Oh, congrats. Yeah, thank you. So uh, I'm, I'm doing that as well. And I just feel like I've, I'm back to myself and the things that I love and the things that make me happy. Eric and I have been snorkeling all the time. Like if he can get out of work, we, we go right to the beach. And I just feel like, oh my God, like, I'm living again, you know, I'm not in bed, I'm not depressed, you know, we're doing this and it's, you know, been amazing. So I don't know, it just feels great. And of course it's the start of my favorite season. I am that basic girl who loves fall. So um, yeah, I'm just, I'm just happy. How are you doing? <laughs> our, our listeners can't see, but you do have pumpkin beer right now. So I do. Yes, it is um, for those of you guys that are interested. I highly recommend it. it is Shipyard Pumpkinhead. Um, it's delicious. It's a nice treat. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, uh, things are going good over here. Therapy is is making me put the work in, which I don't always love. But, you know, that's that's the part of the growth process. Um, You're doing it. And that I am so proud of you trying to yeah uh you're not just trying you're succeeding you have not stopped you know i haven't stopped since march and that's good so um, it's amazing beyond that just dealing with you know the the realities of work and a life in covid and how that affects the performing arts so you know that's the whole process of people with their opinions about uh things and how we do operations from now on for the times being uh but that's okay. I just laugh about it and I say, okay, that's someone's opinion. That's not my own. And I can't, can't take that with me. So. Yeah. That's all you can do. It's true. Um, but Jamie today for the first time on the podcast ever, we go international. Woo-hoo! We across we, the pond, if you will. We are, we are across the pond. Um, our guest is actually a time traveler technically because right now it's 10 o'clock in, in London um but i'm not going to spoil too much i'm just going to say welcome to the podcast alex locker from grief kitchen thank you so much for having me i'm honored to be the first international guest it's it's so amazing um i just love social media because a lot of our guests have been um we found through social media but we found you i think we just started liking each other's stuff on instagram because we both talk about grief in our own way and um, then it led to this. So the stars aligned and everything is just wonderful. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me on. It's an absolute honor. I'm really pleased. And like you just said, social media has its real kind of benefits, doesn't it? Because I find so many people like yourselves just by following the grief hashtag and I've made so many amazing connections. And I just love the fact that it's led me here from creating an Instagram account on my own feeling you know, quite isolated by grief. And now I'm speaking with two lovely people over in the States. It's amazing. Um, yes. And really, uh, in, a, in a kind of crazy way, Eve, uh, the grief does kind of unify us in so many ways. Um, yeah. Because grief is just such a raw emotion at its at its base, and it's hard. And um, we're all prone to feel it at some point in our lives. Um, 
hopefully, uh, you know, in a place where we can process it in a good way, but it good does come for us. And mm-hmm. what's yeah. unique about your <laughs> it's story? Very it's just so obvious. It's perfect yeah. for the spooky fall fall season. It'll it'll come <laughs> for you. Yeah, agree. Thank you. But yeah, um, so uh, you've had some some grief in your life, and let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, of course. Um, well, I'm 31, and um, my grief kind of my first exposure to grief came as an 18 year old when I lost my dad. Um, very suddenly, and he was in a road accident. Um, so I always say to friends or anyone who's interested um, that I've, you know, grief for me is part of being an adult. I've not been an adult without quite massive grief in my life. So I find I find it hard to imagine who I would be without grief and, and what life would be like as an adult without grief. That sounds really depressing. It's not meant to be, but it is a very uh, I suppose a large part of who I am, which I probably would have not liked to admit or describe myself as even a few years ago, but I think I've tried to make that into something more positive more recently, especially through the grief kitchen. Um, and so, yeah, I lost my dad when I was 18, um, suddenly, as I mentioned, and then my mum, uh, seven years later when I was 25, was back in 2015. Uh, she passed away from cancer and was unwell for about three and a half years. So yeah, grief and also anticipatory grief, which I would say is a huge subsection of grief, which deserves to kind of stand on its own actually, um, have been a big part of, of my life and my life experience. And, and you know, making me who I am today it sounds very cheesy, but it is true. Um, so- Absolutely. There's something so interesting about that too, because I lost my mom when I was 17. Um, and thank you. Uh, and I, I think in a lot of ways that when you experience grief, because that's kind of like the, the, the point in your life where you start to kind of become somewhat of an adult, you kind of start to figure yourself out and you're kind of, def- you're, you're kind of pushing the limits of your existence. And when you lose someone that important to your life, it kind of kickstarts the whole process and forces you to grow up a little faster. Oh yeah, really, you really dive into it. I mean, you you had a similar experience by the sounds of it. I mean, age-wise, Corey. Um, I remember, you know, being 18 and that's the summer, you know, I'd left school, like as a high school, as you say in America. And, <laughs> and, you know, you're very excited and very pleased with yourself at that age, aren't you? Like, I can, I've left school. I was about to say I'm old enough to drink, but, you know, in England, you're 18. <laughs> so you really do feel like an adult you know uh, in in the UK when you turn 18 you you leave school you're you can you know you've been able to drive since you were 17 you can buy alcohol you can go to nightclubs like you're an adult yeah it's a big deal yeah and you're like you think okay I've got this down I'm an adult and we went on our first my friends and I our first holiday without parents you know that's one of the um fun things about growing up in the UK if you can if you feel lucky enough you can um, go on holiday to Europe, you know, when you're 18, that's another country. It's that like you do all these things that make you feel like a grown up. And I thought, you know, I am a grown up. And then a few months into that summer, out of the blue, my dad, you know, died in a road accident. And, you know, you think you've grown up then, then life really does hit you. And, and yeah, I think that, that was my huge moment of realizing that, yeah, we might be 18, but we're not grown ups. <laughs> and my friends might be grown-ups in adverted commas as well but as you know grief is very isolating going through something like that at that age it totally marks you out from your peers and really forces you to grow up very quickly in a way that no one would wish for you you know it's it's brutal really brutal what was um what was the grief uh the, the process of you reconciling all those those feelings um when he died were you were you able to to process all that? Were, were you kind of resistant to it? Like, what what was your mindset being eighteen years old, being you know a fresh adult? You know, what what was that like? Um, it's complicated. I'd say it was um, very. I mean, obviously, everyone's experience of grief, grief is different. I would say that for me, in my family unit, I'm the eldest of my siblings. I have a younger brother and sister who I love much and I'm very protective of. They were still at school um, and my mum 
obviously was alive at the time and still married to my dad. They were very happily married. So for me, it wasn't just reconciling my personal loss. It was my family unit changing. You know, my dad was a hugely positive um, force in our family. You know, he held it, it together with my mom. And so it wasn't just reconciling his loss to me. It was um, st- trying to stand by my mom's side as she was newly widowed, which is, I, I look at that now as a 31-year-old and I think, oh my God, I can't believe how I was trying to take that on at that age. Um, I remember very, very clearly the day that happened, the day he died, um, my mum and I were together when we found out my brother and sister were at school. And so my mum and I had this horrific experience of knowing we had to break the news to my siblings. And um, I always remember, you know, taking her hands and saying to her, we will do this together now. We will get them through school. We will. Like thinking, I can say I thought I was a grown up. Thinking I, I can support her and I can be everything she needs. I'll do it. I'll be that person for her. And I look, I look at that person now, and I remember that feeling and just think, oh my god, like that's so precious and lovely and earnest. And I, I meant every word I said when I said it. But I was a child. I was yes, I could go on a plane to Greece and drink too much alcohol with my friends, but I wasn't a grown up. <laughs> I was allowed to do that, but I was not a grown up. Um, so I find that. Oh, I feel a lot of tenderness to myself when I look back on that. Um, but for me, yeah, reconciling that grief was a very complicated journey because I was going through so much change in my own life at that age anyway. I went to university, you know, I was going to university the next year. I took a gap year. Do you call it a gap year in America? Is that like a year out? Yeah. Um, uh, in which I've been doing a lot of traveling. And suddenly, you know, I had a new identity, which was not just, oh, hi, I'm Alex. And I'm from from this part of England, which part of England are you from? It was, uh, I'm Alex and my dad died last year and it's a huge part of me. I don't even, I don't think I'm going to understand it for a very long time yet, you know? Absolutely. You know, you said something before that, um, you know, I want to bring up because I, I, it really resonated with me of the fact that when you lose a parent, especially at a young age, well, mostly at a young age, young-ish age, um, when I lost my mother, I was 29, um, but it still separates you, right? You, so many people cannot fathom it and they don't know how to respond. They don't know how to act. They don't know how to help. Um, they slip up and say things that maybe upset you or, you know, it's, it's, it's a very complicated thing, but like you said, it, it does, it separates you from, from your, just your normal friend groups. And I, I can't even imagine how it is for you to have lost both parents. I mean, you're still very young, you know, I mean, all, all things considered to me, you know, I have friends who still have grandparents, which blows my mind. I'm almost, I, I'm, I'm, I'll be 37 next month. And I have friends who like still have grandparents or are just losing grandparents. And I'm like, I haven't had grandparents in like 20 years, you know? And so it's like, um, it really isn't something that people can grasp. And I think that is probably why Corey and I, you know, bonded so much and, and why we will bond so much because it is just a, it's an absurd thing to to not not have them around for me i started university um but my from my dad's passing so the 4th of october 2008 he died the 4th of october 2009 was my first day at university and that was i think i can't believe i went through with it to be honest i just remember you know arriving at my campus you know, you're trying to put your best foot forward. You're thinking, I want to make friends that are going to be my, you know, these are friends for life. And you've got all that stuff rushing through your head, as well as really looking back, you think, actually, I probably had some, a bit of PTSD. Um, I'm, you know, flashbacks that day, it's very intense. And you're trying to be a normal 18, 19 year old making friends with other people. It's, it's, it's more than you should ask of anyone. But you know, that's life. Life is so demanding and cruel and horrible. And amazing and full of opportunities at the same time we just get different we all just get dealt different set of cards don't we um but no right I- and you kind of think well 
what do you do? Do you stop living your life? Is that what that person would want for you? Is it what you're supposed to do? Like, it's just, it's kind of, it's, it's complicated. Yeah, it was really complicated. I, I look back on, on those years now and I just think, oh, I, I commend myself for getting through it because I think, I think that's what I, that is actually what I would want to say to anyone who is grieving is I think it's very easy to be hard on yourself about things and to think that you're not doing well enough or that it, you're letting it beat you or, or you're never going to feel better again. It's just, oh my God, you were doing so well just to, to be able to go through with the day. And just if you're, go, if you're at university or high school or at your first job or at any job, the fact that you're getting up and going, going to meetings and going to lectures or going to get a coffee with friends or picking up the phone to speak to a friend is all so commendable. And I just wish I could go back and tell myself how well I was doing because I was so hard on myself about it. And I hated feeling different for that reason. Um, and I would almost dread people saying, oh, where do your parents live? Because it would force you to be like, well, I'm, I'm different and to own up to the difference. And then you slightly see people's um, comfort shift, can't, can't you? You can kind of see them go, oh, oh, this is uncomfortable. We don't talk about death. Oh, uh, how do we, how do we make it? How do we move this conversation on? And that's, that's horrible. So I, I, I think actually even just verbalizing this is making me realize, oh, I really did try to take charge of that and change that for myself by, you know, getting into um, the world of grief on social media, which is how obviously we've met. It's so interesting because there's such a programming, um, like a, like an etiquette about how we process things in our life that cause um, dissonance, like grief, like a death of a parent, or, you know, we, I don't even know where it came. Like we've, uh, Jamie and I have talked in the past. We want to do, at some point, we want to do an episode on like cultural aspects of grief, like in other countries to see like, because I feel like, um, I'm curious to see like how other cultures really do talk about grief or, embrace that part of it or do they do what we do do they they kind of shirk behind it and and worry about who they're going to offend when they talk about it stuff like that it is really strange um and that whole process but it's like as long as you're not hurting yourself you know like there there should be some kind of grace i think and i most people i think do give it to you but i i still feel like there's there's some some barrier there right and and also like the learning how to respond. Um, I think that's something that that kind of needs to be taught a little bit because even before this podcast, um, I thought I was I was doing well with it, right? You know, like I'm like the friend that something bad happens, like I'm just gonna suck it up because it's not about me and I'm gonna come help you, even though I'm incredibly uncomfortable. But the more I learn and the more I talk to people who are really, you know, educated in grief, I'm so much more cognizant that if somebody tells me that, oh, I'm sorry, you know, when, um, you know, can you tell me about them? Like things like that, that I, not that I didn't care or want to know before, I just was only kind of demonstrating what I had learned or how, how it had been dealt with in my family or, or whatever, you know, and it's like, I bet if you had, you know, been able to go like gone to college and had somebody say, you know, I'm so sorry. I, you know, what is that like for you? Tell me about your father. Could have been a different experience. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Because what I what I always hated about that, and especially since losing my mom as well. So, you know, being 25, losing, I was um, working in like a tech startup in London. All my colleagues were pretty much in their mid-20s as well. It was a real kind of extension of university and that kind of atmosphere. And obviously most people hadn't lost a parent, let alone two. And I could just feel that this, this kind of cloud that was kind of perceived as being hang, hang, hanging over my head when I mentioned, oh, if someone said, oh, where do your parents live? Oh, actually, my parents have passed away. It's the way I would kind of try and succinctly get past that bit of information. And I hated the fact that because no one ever ever really asked about them, I just all I all they knew of my family was that my parents, you know, were dead. But that's not who they were. Their names were Pauline and Jeremy. They're incredible, vivacious, funny, loving, warm, interesting people with a lot of stories to tell. And their story is not simply that they died. They were people with like full, fully, fully fleshed out amazing interesting lives and a lot to say 
And I hate the idea that people would look at my family and just see a dark cloud or something negative or something that's gone because it was a very, very happy, happy family. And, you know, my siblings and I continue that family now. So I just, I hated the fact that it, it seemed to such a full stop. No one would ask. And I wish they had. And I, I, I'm, I'm like you, Jamie, I'll do the same. If, if someone says that they're grieving or they've lost someone, I would try and ask about that person because they probably aren't asked at all. And it's really, it's a lot to kind of hold within, isn't it? To never speak about the person that you're always thinking about. It's um, interesting. We're talking about this today. I actually, uh, my stepfather's uh, brother passed away uh, last week and today was today was the funeral and i i unfortunately could not be there for that today um but i was talking to my dad and my dad was pretty upset understandably it's his older brother you know and um i was just asking him a couple like what week uh, last week saying how are you doing you know like are you okay he's like yeah he's like i'm sad you know i already cried my tears because my uncle had been um sick for so long but my dad i was talking to him and He's like, I'm, I'm sad, but I'm going to think about the memories I had, not the person who died. You know, the, I'm not, not going to think about the death, I'm think about the life. And he said, you know, when I was five, he taught me how to steal. You know, when he was six, he taught me how to smoke cigarettes. And seven, he taught me how to, to hotwire car, whatever he was saying, you know, as a shoplifter, whatever it was. And I was like, dad, this is like really funny. But, you know, um, there's these memories tied to people. And yes, it's, it's saying... Uh, tell me your favorite memory of that person and they could be sobbing the entire funeral or they could be distraught and when you hear them talk about that person they light up and they they smile and for for them that's that's really important so it's definitely a good part of that process um but i'm curious so you've you've lived through your your father's passing you know your Mm -hmm. And then you exist in a space where your mom gets sick. Yeah. And so, uh, and you said she was sick for three years. Yeah, more than just three and a half years, I'd say. My mom uh, was the same about that time frame too, as well. Um, so I mean, you probably had a lot more to reconcile because you were also dealing with the, you know, the process of learning, you know, how progressive her condition was and yeah. how fatal it was. But also, you probably have this this PTSD, like you said, you know, from your dad's death and like mm-hmm. you're thinking last time I had mom to help me get myself and my siblings through this. Now it's got to be mm-hmm. me by myself. Yeah. And so what was that like? So I would say that from outside of her being unwell, you know, that's the thing, that's the thing with, you know, many diseases and especially with, you know, some types of cancer, it's a slow journey. And so her initial diagnosis wasn't, you know, it's the end of the world and this is definitely terminal. It was, okay, this is the first step and, you know, we're going to manage this and it's bite-sized and this is how you communicate it to your children to make it not scary. And we're going to take this step-by-step and appointment-by-appointment. So I wasn't immediately thrown into, oh my God, anticipatory grief, this is going to happen. Obviously I was scared and I'd never had cancer in my family before or in a, with a close loved one. I'd never been in, in that position before. I was 20... 223. Um, <clears throat> I think the way I would describe my mom was she was extremely, extremely loving and just, I, I wish I was articulate enough to really convey this as well as it should be done. But she was just the master of making you feel comfortable and relaxed and never wanting to disrupt your peace. And it was almost like this very so cleverly done that you weren't noticing it being done. This kind of almost like dance dance of just um there's an appointment and it's going to be fine I'm going to do this and just never wanting to rock the boat so while she never hid anything from us she made it as palatable and easy and comfortable as possible because she just didn't want us to suffer or be unhappy so she shouldered a lot of the upset and and fear I imagine with, with her you know with her friends and people that she would view as being adults with her but you know she was a parent up until the very end and she never wanted us to suffer so she was incredibly giving and thoughtful to us in that respect and refused to be fearful with us. I think, I, mean, I can only imagine if I was to be diagnosed with something, I'd want to go running to every person I knew going, help me, oh God, I'm scared, I'm scared. And she would never have done that to us. She never said, I'm scared or why me or this isn't fair or what's going to happen. It was always very calm and just graceful and just 
totally admirable. I just I, I, what a woman. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I feel like there is there is a, a mom resilience. Um Mm-hmm. and uh, Jamie's story too to that extent you know for her mom you know because her mom, her mom didn't want to be a burden on her life mm-hmm. and my mom like my mom passed away on New Year's Eve of 2004 I was mm-hmm. 17 so but we had we thought we were going to lose her before Christmas but for my, my mom Christmas was the, the holiday that she loved to to share with the family and to give my siblings presents. And so we think, you know, she held on as long as she could. I mean, she pushed herself past the holidays. So it wouldn't be, you know, it wouldn't be this terrible mark on the calendar year. So. Oh, wow. I mean, yeah, I, it is, you know, it's, and it's hard because like, we can't ask it them, right. How, how did you feel? What were you feeling? And, you know, in hindsight, I mean, my mother, my mother passed suddenly um, of a heart attack. And, but I think she knew, and I think there were other things going on that she just never told me. Um, and when, you know, what Corey is talking about is that she chose to be, do not resuscitate. So she may have, have, have lived, um, you know, through that um, and been able to to be revived, but she she chose to to do that. And mm-hmm. it's like, you know, um, to think back and like think about like what it must have been like for them, um, knowing that, you know, we had to we as their children had to had to suffer, you know, but I think at the same time, like the, like what Corey says, the mom resilience, like it's each one of our mothers kind of made her, her mark and her, you know, gift to us in, in, in their own ways, which is really sweet <laughs> to think about. It is. It really is. Like, I would say that my mom certainly made a point of never wanting any of us, uh, us three siblings, I mean, to um, moments more worried than, than, than was absolutely necessary because I, she'd already watched us suffer through the loss of our dad, which was, I can only imagine how heartbreaking that would be for you for one as a parent to, to use not only your life partner but your children's father it's just breaks my heart to even try and put myself in her shoes now as an adult I'm a little bit closer to being able to do that um but going back to the you know how did I approach that kind of reconciling that grief I would say that the period in which that she was really ill and it became very clear or became only just became clear towards the end because she had been so smart at keeping us happy for so long. Um, that period when you know it's the inevitable is starting to become inevitable and actually drawing closer, that period of anticipatory grief, I would say, out of anything, was by far the hardest time for me. And what I always remember saying when my mum told me that she was ill, um, I remember kind of saying to my friend, not to her, I don't want to be able to compare. And what I meant was I've lost a, a parent in an accident suddenly, you know, out of the blue. One day they're fine, one day they're gone. And I, the idea of losing a parent to then to an illness, a slower decline, I don't want to be able to compare those two experiences. They're both horrifying in their own ways, extremely difficult. But for me, the anticipatory grief, the journey that you go on in your own head when someone that you love is, is very unwell and every avenue you go down the what if this happens? What if that happens? Okay, in that case, I'm going to have to do this. You put yourself completely through the ringer in your own mind. And that's why you need to be able to talk to other people and why it is so amazingly helpful if, if friends can be brave enough to ask how you're doing. And that's the thing, isn't it, with anticipatory grief is it's hard enough for people as friends to ask, how are you doing in regards to, you know, your person who's passed away? But I think when someone is still alive but very unwell people really don't know how to approach that and that is not a criticism at all for me I found myself in in a strange position in the last few years when uh, one or two friends have very sadly lost a parent normally it's a parent um and I found myself I've almost kind of laughed at myself saying Alex how do you not know what to say to this person because every time it's so your heart goes out to someone so much that's grieving even I have after my experiences go oh I just don't know what should I say that and you almost double you question yourself and I say I can't believe I'm questioning myself because I know that I felt very isolated and I really appreciated it whenever anyone brought it up with me 
And I've never, I've never ever not been positive when someone's tried to broach the um, subject with me in terms of um, kind of biting and taking that bait and, and saying, yes, I would like to have that conversation. Because I always think it is so brave and commendable of someone to bring it up. It is so brave because especially if they've not really grieved someone very close before, it's really uncharted territory for them. So I think it's a real, a really tangible, big kind of mark of friendship and love if someone's brave enough to bring it up with you. And I always notice it. So I, Absolutely. Yeah, that's what I would say. And, and I always find it interesting uh, who those people tend to be. Because sometimes it's just, you know, it's strangers on the internet that will check in with you every day. And, um, or it's some coworker that, you know, you would never expect. It is, um, it is always kind of a surprise as well. But yeah, I, I totally feel you on the surprise of your own reactions, having that, that, that we all kind of have that like knee jerk reaction initially. And it is, it's, it's still, it, it will, it will never not be tough. Um, we just have to learn how to, and remember that, you know, it's really important for us to just ask. Yeah. And the worst thing that someone can say is, thank you so much for asking me about that. I'm not emotionally up to talking about it right now, but I really appreciate right. it. And that's what I always think I would say if I wasn't up to it, but I've always been up for it. <laughs> I love it. So, get me started. <laughs> so, uh, going through these grief processes, you created Grief Kitchen. Tell the story about that, maybe kind of where it started and, and what it is now and everything. Sure. So, I grew up obviously loving food, not alone in that. Most people do, or at least I, I can't imagine that, they, that you wouldn't. When people say they aren't complete foodies, I'm just like a little bit suspicious. And like, they're, well, they're usually like old world, like grandparents, you know, who went through like the wars and they <laughs> just grateful to eat something. They, they, they eat to sustain themselves. Like we eat, yeah, they to, eat entertain. to live. They don't live to eat, but like I live to eat. So yeah, no, I, I don't get that. Um, and my dad was a great cook. I immediately did my mom a disservice there. She was a very good cook as well. But in my head, I remember my dad like really enjoying his cooking, a, a, maybe 1% more, more. I'm scared he's going to listen to this and tell me off. Uh, so yeah, we grew up in a very foodie family. I'm very lucky to travel a lot. And my parents were very keen to make us adventurous eaters. So I have really positive memories of like being a kid and going to restaurants with my parents and us like being given the adult menu and being like, you're not having the kid's menu, you order something from the adult menu, which I think is pretty cool. Um, so yeah, I grew up loving food. And uh, my degree was in art, art history with Italian. So I very much set off on a course of a career that was not food-based um, and was doing that for quite a few years until my mum passed away. Um, all the time, I've absolutely loved food. Um, I should say my sister's a chef, and she she's younger than me, than me, but she qualified when she was 18, 19. So I kind of watched my sister, and I thought I thought that was she was a bit of a rock star for doing that. Um, and I got to the stage where, especially after losing my mum and going through that journey, I realised I was really taking comfort in cooking, uh, not just in eating, but the cooking process. I found that, you know, when you're in the real depths of quite fresh grief, you know, that stage where like a shower is an effort and people don't expect you to come to work like the beginning. Um, I was really, I think I was really trying to find a way to not just sit and watch TV. And I was like, what can I do? I don't want to leave the house. I'm not up to leaving the house. I don't want to see anyone. It's England. It's raining outside. I'm not going outside. So what do I do? And I found myself you know, picking up those cookbooks that I don't know if you guys do this, but I would normally read a cookbook in bed. Like that would be my thing that I would flick through before going to sleep. Like I love cookbooks for that. And I started slowly bookmarking recipes and going, no, I'm going to make that tomorrow. That'll be my thing that I do tomorrow. And it would always be baking, um, usually cakes. And um, there was something really positive in that. So I just started kind of getting more into my cooking and eventually I'd found myself looking at the cookery school website online uh, that my sister went to. It's called Ballymaloo um, in Ireland. 
and it's quite it's quite well known it's very respected um it's a three-month course it's completely immersive where you go to this 100 acre organic farm in the southeast coast of ireland and you just move there you know i ended up getting a car i'd actually passed my driving test to do this so it's a big deal at the age of um and i just i hadn't hadn't conceptualized the grief kitchen beyond the idea that i knew i was going to this cookery school i knew i wanted to change my life which sounds really melodramatic but it is true <laughs> and i knew i wanted to yeah, it's a bit of an eat pray love thing that sounds quite cringeworthy but i suppose it is um and i knew you know with instagram being what it is and obviously we've now met through instagram um I wanted to keep a, a visual diary of my cookery school experience. I knew I was going to have all these amazing experiences, all these amazing dishes I was cooking, and it would be so Instagram worthy. I was like, okay, I want to diarize this. What am I going to call it? And I was just talking to my godmother about it, who is like a second mum to me. She was my mum's best friend. Um, and I said, I think I'm going to, this came to me really quickly. I was like, I'm going to call it the grief kitchen, and I'm going to talk about grief and food because that makes the most sense to me. And, I, and she just was like, okay, like you do you, <laughs> that sounds good. <laughs> but I remember thinking like, it makes total sense, the grief kitchen. Like, and I thought the first thing I did was go online and see, does the grief kitchen exist already? Because like, surely it does. To me, I was like, oh, I've done that thing where someone thinks they're being really inventive and they've been like, they're like yeah, that's been going for a little bit. Yeah, I was like, this is going to be the moment that I Google the grief kitchen and see like a series of cookbooks that already exist and, and, you know, the name's going to be taken and there's going to be like 70 of them Instagram. And quite the opposite was the case. And there was nothing there. And I just thought, oh, that's so strange. Like, I, I connect food and grief so closely. I, you know, I've grieved since I was 18 for one parent and then the other and then both and what, what else. So grief and food to me are so linked. I cannot believe the grief kitchen doesn't exist. So I went to cookery school and, you know, was very immersed in that. And um, I always remember one of my course mates there, because we got to the stage, we were all going, what's your, what's your account name? Because we'd all made these cookery Instagram accounts because we were all super original. That's and so cute. <laughs> I love this. I love this story so much. I'm sorry, I feel like I'm going into too much depth. But, you know, no, please. No, this is amazing. I, this is what I've been dying to know. Like, Aww. how did you do this? <laughs> Well, so everyone's kind of got their little cookery accounts and they're all kind of cool names and what have you. And anyway, I remember one person saying to me, oh, Alex, what's your what's your account called? And I and it's that it's that moment like where you have to say, oh, actually, my parents have passed away. I said, oh, mine's called the Grief Kitchen. And this person went, the Grief Kitchen? And I had to go, oh, um, yeah, yeah, the Grief Kitchen. And I just remember feeling a little bit shamed because they went, oh, that's a bit, you know, weird. Well, what, is, what does that mean? And it was that real mark of someone who's quite fortunate to have never lost someone type of comment and so I kind of I remember feeling quite embarrassed and that night going back to my room and, and changing my name and changing it from the grief kitchen to <laughs> this is so embarrassing Alex ate it all being just like okay I'm just gonna make myself really kind of nondescript and I'm not gonna allude to grief because that's really embarrassing that I've done that and am I just being really attention seeking um changed it to this stupid name Alex ate it all no no offense to anyone if they have that name now um and I felt really silly for a few days for trying to do this thing of making the grief kitchen and then I spoke to one of my friends about it and she went why did you change your name and I said oh you know and I recounted this slightly embarrassing encounter and she was like that is ridiculous I think the grief kitchen is going to be massive and you should do it and I was like oh, oh okay they're kind of with a bit, bit of geeing up for my friend, I was like, no, I am going to make the grief kitchen a thing because I know that when I talk about food memories about mum and dad, that's when I get really lit up. And when I cook, that is something that makes me feel better. It actually helped my grief. And I kind of reminded myself, you know, why I was there. Didn't look back and started uploading stuff as the grief kitchen. And then um, I, barely, I barely uploaded enough whilst I was actually at cookery school because I was exhausted. It is absolutely physically knackering being at cookery school. So in this was in Christmas 2019. We finished the course. It was amazing. Went home. 
and then came back to Ireland just after Christmas to do a sweets and pastry internship back at Ballymaloo House, which is um, the hotel, which is also part of the cookery school, has an amazing uh, dessert chef there. It was, it was, I was so fortunate to do it. So obviously we were on the precipice of COVID. I didn't know what was about to happen in the world. I would have tootled off back on the ferry to Ireland in my new Ford Fiesta. <laughs> oh my God, um, how adorable. <laughs> <laughs> thinking I really had it sussed, thinking, oh, I'm going to go and do six weeks in this pastry um, internship, and then I'm going to come back to London, and I'm going to get a job in a pastry kitchen or something like that, and it's going to be great. Not really sure what was going to happen. And then, you know, COVID happened, <laughs> and I, had, I was in a kind of a corner of Ireland where, you know, you know what it was like when COVID was, like, emerging. No one knew what it was. We didn't, I didn't really, no one in, no one in Ballymaloo thought it was going to come there. We were like, oh, we're tucked away in the countryside. It won't come here. And you're kind of watching the news every day going, I think it might be coming here, guys. <laughs> um, so I ended up packing up my, my car, driving back to England early because I was scared the borders were going to close. Going back to stay with my godparents um, in the Cotswolds, which is the area of London that I'm from. Not London, sorry, the UK. And um and spending three months with them in their house through the first lockdown. And that's when I really went online onto Instagram and started, I just gave myself the rule that it was like, it was always like being in grief again. You know, I wasn't leaving the house. It was all a bit scary outside. I said to myself, cooking is going to be the thing that I do every day. I'm going to do one post a day and upload it to Instagram with how I'm feeling about grief or whatever food memory this might kind of, the thing that I've cooked today awakens in me or is the reason I've cooked it and I'm just going to see if people connect with it and you know they did it was amazing and I started to realize how much of um a real network or grief community there is on social media and it's absolutely incredible there's so many different pockets of grief on there and people were joining um you know from like different countries over the world and talking about different types of loss and I could ask a question like you know I'd love to know who your person was and what was their favorite dish and I realized that a really good way to an icebreaker if you will with people who are grieving because you know a lot of people don't know how to say tell me about that person you know it's quite it's quite a bold prompt you know not everyone is an established podcast host and knows how to get people to talk about things so I found, you know, tell me about that person and, you know, what, did, what was your favorite dish they made? Or if they weren't a cook, if you were, if you go to a restaurant, which dish would they choose on the menu? What do you think? You know, that kind of thing. And people just light up, like you said, and love talking about food and grief. Um, and so that's now snowballed to the point where I have been dying to do cookery classes for people who are grieving, but obviously it's not been possible yet with with COVID and the restrictions with mixing people in groups and bringing people together. So it's been forced online and I'm very, very excited to be offering um, grief circles through Zoom for now and then eventually in person. Yeah, thank you. And then hopefully cookery classes because I really want to offer people that space that I wish I'd had when I was um, in that stage of anticipatory grief for my mom, especially. You know, I was a young professional in London my mum was, my mum had terminal cancer. I'd lost my dad. I was 25. All my friends were not in the same position and I had no one, no peers to talk to. So I just, I just thought, you know, the grief kitchen, what if class, you know, cooked making or baking or make fresh pasta with other people who, you know, know someone living with cancer or other people who might have lost a sibling or maybe a group for um, other people who are having fertility issues, that type, you know, there's so many different types of loss. And food and having something to do with your hands, I think, is the best way to relax someone and get them to open up and not feel too self-aware. So that's the direction that the Grief Kitchen is heading in. I love it so much because I remember seeing, you know, like, you know, the, the idea of sharing things. And when I first saw that and maybe want to engage in conversation with you and have you here was because... I was like, okay, my mom was the cook in the family and there are things that she made. So my mom is as, as white as they come, but she loved Mexican food and she she made these version of enchiladas that were her own. They weren't, they weren't like super spicy, but they were her enchiladas. And I loved them as a child ever since I was a kid. And that was like my food that I loved. 
and before she passed she 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 had uh, Lou Gehrig's disease ALS and so she couldn't move her body but she had a computer she could type by using her eye um, and she typed these really raw in recipe idea for the, how to make her enchiladas and about a year after she passed away um, that New Year's Eve uh, on the eve of her death the first year I was like, you know what? I'm going to try making these things. I know that I know they probably won't be as good as mom's. It's going to be in the temple. See what happens, you know, and making that dish, you know, and like with my siblings, because we all grew up with it, you know, and um, taking that first bite and going, okay, this isn't mom's, but this is the spirit of mom right here. You know, this, this is like what makes it, you know, because moms have that special touch that you can you can never replicate no matter how hard you try. But uh, <laughs> yeah. but there was just something mm-hmm. there that it just made me feel so comforted. And I don't know, it was it was it just helped, you know. Yeah. Our people live on in their food, in their recipes and the things that they ordered is simply simply just the things they ordered if they weren't inclined to cook. Um I, I don't know, like your your story reminded me of, of Grey's Anatomy. I don't know. Uh, again, with my very basic, basic white girl today with my pumpkin beer and my Grey's Anatomy. But um, one of the characters bakes as she's grieving. And she just, <laughs> yes, with Izzy. You know, like I immediately thought of Izzy. And then, you know, that, and I also thought about um, it, I, I, I suffered um, a loss of one of my friends to, to suicide. And I, I chose to kind of house everyone after, you know, I said, why don't we all just come here? We'll all be together. We'll all do what we have to do. And of course I wanted to make things as comfortable as possible. So I go to turn on the TV. I'm like, what the hell do I put on? What do you put on when everybody's grieving and you don't want something on the TV to, 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 you know, remind you of something sad or, or, you know, you don't want death. You don't want anything to do with death. I put on the mm-hmm. Great British Baking Show and we just sat oh, yes! and, and we got food. We like, we ordered pizza, we got stuff and we watched the British Baking Show. And, and like, I just, I, you know, it really, grief and food really do go together so much and also your school sounds just like that like I'm picturing you in the in the in the great British baking show tent <laughs> like and at your school <laughs> I could totally see that yeah I, every day at cookery school you cook in the morning and then you finish your dishes present them and your teacher would come and like you'd have to have present it properly and they'd taste it and mark it and give you feedback and we would always oh, wow. oh I love that what a great experience like what a beautiful thing that you did with your grief. Thank you. Uh, it was absolutely very, like I think ultimately I think we steer ourselves to what we really want and need. And I think when you are going through grief, you are really forced, like it pulls it out of you. All the kind of superficial stuff goes to the side. What makes me happy? What am I actually gravitationally pulled to? And for me, it was food and people and interacting. I want that to be my life. And it, you go, oh, well, actually, I've realized now life's really short. Not only is it short, and, but it can, it can go like that. And, you know, if you don't start doing these things today, you know, not every day is, is a given. So, yeah, it, I, I found myself pulled to cookery school. And, and I think it was really the right time to go. I, I really think it's, it really forced me to look at how, you know, we make big life choices when we're like 17 and 18, deciding what degree to do at university or what have you, or what apprenticeship to do or what job you're going to do straight away. And, you know, suddenly, especially after grieving, you're not the same person you were that you when you started. So for me, being 29, going to cookery school, I turned 30 halfway through and that felt really poignant. I was like, this is actually me growing up again, again, if that makes sense. I've done the 18 to 19 thing where the growing up initially was being allowed to buy alcohol. Sorry for anyone who's jealous in America that we got to drink earlier. Um, but then I actually grew up and then I grew up again. Like it's, yeah, you go through these different stages of life, don't you? And that was when I really grew up and was like, okay, now I know what I want and what makes me tick and what gets me really excited. And that's why I think, you know, things like your podcast will be successful and things like people connect with, 
I've started connecting with my Instagram. I suppose it's authentic and there's real passion there. And people are pulled towards that, aren't they? I love it. It's so it's so wonderful. Um, so one thing we do before the end of every episode, we have this um it's our catch our catchphrase. Um but we'll have um well i'll start the sentence and then i'll have you finish it it can be a single word it can be a few words but how would you finish the sentence grief is i mean i've always said that i think grief and and i bet people have said this before i think grief really is love but i would also and this is more of like a a feeling which is going to be poorly described i really think of grief more as like an earthquake (laughs) and it completely knocks everything down and like I was just saying it really it takes you down to your bare bones and shows you who you are and then you rebuild from there that is how I would describe grief and there's a lot of destruction and pain in that initially of course but you get to choose how you rebuild and who with and with what does that sound like really that's great no it's 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 the perfect amount of cheese and sap don't worry yes i love it though and it's so true and like you talked about earlier like um covid grief which was actually our very first episode and i feel like that was that same kind of process of rebuilding and choosing who was going to come into this new version of your life (laughs) or who was going to go too and so yeah it's never stay the same can it it's never going to stay the same yeah and yeah your friends show who they are and you you yeah you you end up in a totally different place but with a new respect and love for life completely like I I always want to kind of almost highlight to people like yes I might run something called the grief kitchen but I'm actually a really happy person I take a lot of delight in life and I love absurd stupid things and I love the little things that are actually quite inconsequential but amount to be quite big when you when you laugh at them that often um so yeah I think if grief is a something you're focusing on that doesn't make you a negative sad person it's with someone who's aware of the privilege of the happy parts of life and you treasure them more and chase them more Alex, it is such a pleasure to have you on the show today. It's such a pleasure to know you now and to, to be able to, to share Grief Kitchen, which we'll definitely do. We'll put the, the links inside the, the episode notes and everything. But um, you're just, you're such a wise person. You're, you're younger than both of us. I mean, and you just, you have this, this, um, but thank you for being here. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's an absolute honor and such a pleasure as well. Amazing. Thank you so much. Pleasure to meet you. Yeah, both of you too. And everyone tuning in, thank you for being here and we'll talk to you later. Bye everybody. Bye.